Good morning, everyone. Um, we're talking about uh, ministry as far as people joining the church. Um, and with that, I wanted to share a blessing that my family has gotten here from the church. Um, I just live a couple streets over here. Um, uh, I live with my wife, Marie, and we have two uh, older daughters. Um, back around 2000, year 2000, we joined the church up here. And I got into uh, uh, ushering and um, communion and, and things of that sort of trying to get involved with the church. Um, back in 2005, uh, well, let me go before that, my wife has a problem with migraines. So for any of you that get migraines, you know that that's all about. But uh, back in 2005, we had a morning that uh, Marie woke up with a, with a migraine. And uh, she took her medicine, went back to bed. Uh, she got up a little bit later. The migraine was gone, but as she tells me, after she takes that medicine, she has like a, a burnout, washed out feeling about her. Uh, well, she wound up, she was out on the road. She was coming up Mount Nebo Road, and she wound up in a head-on collision. And uh, it's only due to the, th due to the uh, mercy of God that she's even here uh, today, and she's sitting in the back here, so she's she has recovered. Uh, but we went through a rough time. She was in the hospital uh, off and on for three years through a number of surgeries. I come home one day from the hospital, and I look out the back door, out of my back porch, and there's containers sitting on my picnic table out there with a note, and I go out here. It's it's dinner. A family here at the church brought dinner up there for me. I mean, I was blown away. I never expected anything like that. Well, then over a period of time after that, we would get phone calls from people, and, and they were bringing us dinner. Uh, one of the old pastors, uh, Gordon Green, for any of you that have been around for any time that knew Gordon, he would be down at the hospital any time that Marie was going into a surgery. He would be down there to pray with us. John Guest came to the house a number of times to bring communion. Um, there's another ministry here in the church. They call them the Nitwits. Uh, they brought a, a, a nice knitted blanket with a little cross weaved into it for Marie. Well, then we go back. Then we go forward to 2008. I wound up in the hospital getting bypass surgery. Come home from the hospital. That day we got a phone call. Dinner was being delivered again. We had dinner delivered probably three times a week for a month. There was one family that uh, delivered food to us. Uh, it was three months. I was getting a dinner like every weekend to the point that when she said that this would probably be the last one, I asked if she'd adopt me. Uh, but what, my whole point of this is this church is just amazing. Uh, when you're in need... They're here, and it's the ministries that we have here. So as you go looking to uh, go to these classes to decide whether you want to join this church, this isn't a matter of joining a church. This is joining a family, and they really are. And I appreciate everything they've done for me and, uh, again, for all of those families that came. I don't even know who they all are. Thank you again. Thanks. Thanks, Jim.
So a little bit of a different start this morning, and you guys are definitely better trained than the earlier service because it was like I had to really rope them in. Stop loving on each other already. It's time to preach. Just kidding. So hey, I just want to say we're very glad that you're here with us today. We're currently in a sermon series called Renew, and what we're talking about is what it looks like for us as people to be a part of something bigger than ourselves as far as being a part of the church and membership. We, we then talked last week about how by being a part of that and by having Christ in our life, we're really called to be his disciples and we're called to mature. And, and you know, an apple tree doesn't simply grow to be an apple tree. It has a purpose, doesn't it? And its purpose is to produce fruit. Just like the purpose of a Christian is not just simply to grow for the sake of growth. But God has given you a purpose. And it's the same as an apple tree. To produce fruit. You're to be a member. You're to grow in your faith and the knowledge and understanding of Jesus. Understanding that God has picked you for his team. Let's pray. God, we do love you so much. And it's exciting to be a part of what you're doing, God. Some of us are still trying to figure that out. Some of us feel like we're a mistake. Some of us feel like we're not even sure why we're here, God. But the reality is, you have us here for a reason. You've brought us into this team, not by accident or out of pity, but out of love. And because you want to do something miraculous with us. So we give you this morning, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I've got to be honest with you, I'm real excited to share uh, the sermon with you this morning because for the first time, there's this illustration I've been wanting to use since 1980. (laughs) And for the first time, I feel like, okay, this, this fits with what we're preaching. There's not much I remember from 1980. I remember Star Wars. I remember something about 1979, a Super Bowl and a World Series somewhere. Where'd that happen? That's right here. It's a good year. But in 1980, something miraculous happened. We're in the midst of the Cold War, and one of the most epic battles of the Cold War, other than Rocky, is about to take place. (laughs) There's not going to be a single weapon drawn, but on February 22nd, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, on a Friday, a bunch of ragtag amateur athletes and college players are going to come together under the banner of Team USA to play the Soviet Union in ice hockey. Yeah, now we're talking. Everybody's excited. <laughs> Sports Illustrated has dubbed this one of the most epic moments in the history of sports. It's the iconic thing that we think of even when we think of Sports Illustrated is that miraculous cover of that team with the American flag in the stands behind them and they're just elated and jumping for joy. We know that, that they won that game and some of you have seen the movie and this is really bad. I'm confessing to you something as a hockey player fan. I've actually never seen the movie Miracle. <laughs> so forgive me. I'm going I'm to change that. But that story is epic. Because all that we see is that they eventually won a gold medal. A lot of people don't know this, but the game with the Soviet Union was not, in fact, the finals. It was a semifinal game. The largest game in the history of sports, the most iconic, I should say, was actually a semifinal round between the Soviet Union, who hadn't been defeated in 26 years. Out of this last seven Olympics, six of the gold medals had gone 
to the Soviet Union. In fact, it's said that the Soviet Union raised and bred kids just for hockey. Their sole purpose in life was to win that game. The United States had brought together a group of amateur athletes that really were nothing to brag home about. If you remember in the Olympics before recent, you couldn't be a professional athlete and play in the Olympics. It was all amateurs in college. They called together a group of men, and from the very moment that this group of men came together, there was nothing but trauma and turmoil. I was reminded because one of our congregants was was a hockey player with those guys and reminded me of just how tragic that story started. See, we know that the the, the United States defeated the the Soviet Union 4-3 in in an incredible game, and Al Michaels' whole career really was spurred by those final moments of the game that some of you will even be able to quote with me. When eight minutes left in the game, Michael Ruzioni scores a goal, the United States goes ahead 4-3, and for the next eight minutes, the entire world is on pins and needles as the balance of the Cold War sits on an ice hockey game. With 11 seconds to go in the game, you know what Al Michaels does. He's, he makes this proclamation that, that um, I, I've got to read it because it, it's just that good, but Al Michaels is, is sitting there, he's announcing this game, and he asks this question that, that scarred itself, that burned itself in the minds of almost every American. With 11 seconds in the game, he says, Do you believe in miracles? Three, two, one. And he screams, yes. The place goes nuts. Victory. The United States goes on to beat Finland a couple days later, but that almost doesn't even matter, does it? Because in that moment, we won the Cold War. <laughs> See, that team didn't start out that way at all. In fact, when the team was being picked, there was a goaltender who was supposed to be the most famous. I was reminded of this story this morning. I didn't share this earlier. He was the brother of famed goaltender John Van Beesbrook, and he was cut from the team and would kill himself. And so this team started out in turmoil. Each of the players showed up thinking that they were the hot shot in town. Each of them had their own agenda. Each of them thought they were the best player and and that they could do whatever they wanted and, and the other guys didn't matter. And so this team that was bound for destiny started out being a bunch of individualistic, arrogant men who did nothing but fight themselves. During practices, they would break out into brawls over old grudges that they had over college and university games. They would fight each other, and their coach, who was one of the most excellent coaches to ever live, Herb Brooks, simply would let them destroy and bite each other because they had to learn that the name on the back of their jersey was not as significant as the one on the front. And some of you have seen the movie, and I heard there's some fantastic clips that really just tell this story, but Herb Brooks would ask his players, who are you and where are you from? And they would say their name and they would say their hometown and then they would go on to say the team that they were playing for. I play for for Massachusetts, I play for Boston, I play for this school. Never realizing that they, sitting in the place that they were sitting, were actually called to be a part of something bigger than themselves. So I guess there's this epic scene in the movie where they They come out and they really look terrible because this group of superstars is all about themselves and they lose a game and coach makes them skate nonstop until finally Mike Ruzioni gets the point of what the coach is trying to teach him. And and when they're about to do another suicide, which is this skating back and forth, which is exhausting, he says, my name is Mike Ruzioni and I play for Team USA. 
And I can't do it justice with words, but it's this epic moment where somebody finally understands that the name that is on the heart is more important than the name that's on the back. That in fact, he was not all, it was not all about him. It was about him being a part of something bigger than himself. And when that team finally got that mindset, they were able to defeat what, what the sports world was calling an immortal team. And I want to tell you, church, God put a name on your heart, and it's not the name that's on the back of your jersey. And the question I have for you is, who are you living this life for? Are you living it for yourself? Or are you living it for the name on your heart, the name of God? Are you playing for yourself, or do you recognize that you're a part of something miraculous? And that through the the power of God, you can do anything. This is a summary of what Herb Brooks said to his team. I can't say what he said because I'd have to church it up quite a bit. So just trust me, okay? (laughs) Herb Brooks said to his men before they took the ice, he said, you were born for this moment. You were born to be a player. You were meant to be here. You were picked for this. It's not an accident. This moment is yours. Now do what you were created to do. Church, listen to me. God loves you. You didn't pick him. God picked you. You're not here by accident. You're intentional, you're on purpose, and he loves you. And he has a place for you on the team. In fact, you are the only person that he has created to fill the role that you fill. God has created you intentionally and on purpose. And he wants to do something miraculous through the body of Christ's church. But you're a part of that. And we're a part of the body of Christ. We're a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God created you for something fantastic and great? The book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 12, we've heard this piece of scripture over and over and over again to the point where I feel like sometimes we forget what it's actually telling us. And I'm going to give you homework today. I want you to go home after the service, and if you've got a family, sit with your family, and I want you to audibly aloud read this scripture to one another. Because in this passage of Scripture, from, from chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 12, all the way through the end of that, in the beginning of 13, it's talking about how we are all part of one bigger body. That, that some of us are gifted in different ways. Some of us are going to be teachers. Some of us are going to be preachers. Some of us are going to be sound people. Some of us are going to be musicians. Some of us are going to be, like Jim was sharing with us, we, we, maybe our gifts and talents aren't this and this, but we can cook some amazing food, and we don't need the glory for that. I love how he says, I don't even know who these people were. See, the point of Jim's story is, He's now in charge of our, of our ushers and our greeters and, and our, our, excuse me, our, um, our guys that hand out bulletins and stuff, not because he feels obligated to God, but because he was blessed by the people of God who did what God called him to and served him. That's the point of him getting up there and saying what he said today. Was it through the service of God's people, he's now inspired to serve. Each of us has a part to play. And when you don't play that part, it's sad. 
Could you imagine if the goaltender for that Olympic team decided he wanted to be the center? And for those of you that don't know hockey, the center's the guy that skates in the middle. The goalie's the guy with the big pads. He's needed to be where he's at. Okay? Just like you're needed to be where you're at. You have a position to play in the body of Christ, in the body of God, in the body of the church. Don't try to be something you're not. 1 Corinthians 12 says this. It's summarized in verse 27. He says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. Each and every one of you is a part of this body. You cannot be replaced. You bring in a unique flavor and a unique mindset that cannot be replaced. I wish I had more time because I would, well, I'm just going to talk about it. <laughs> I've got the mic. They can't shut it off now. <laughs> C.S. Lewis talks about this deep concept of, of when he lost his friend, J.R.R. Tolkien. He said, when he died, a piece of me died because now people will never know me by the way that he influenced me and the way he encouraged me. Just as God created each of you uniquely and you bring a piece to this body that nobody else can bring. God made you irreplaceable. Every single one of you. Do you know that? Sure, someone else can, can do something else, but nobody's going to be able to bring what God has designed for you to bring. He's created you intentionally on purpose as a part of the body. He's done it for a reason. Galatians 5, our passage for this morning, uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there with me now, I encourage you to do so. Paul's writing to, the, to these churches because there's these people called the Judaizers. They're going around and telling people that they're not truly free, that, that they still have to adhere to old ways. And, and so he's writing this letter to say, look, folks, when Christ died on the cross, he paid it all. You're no longer a slave to the old laws. You're no longer a slave to sin. You are set free. And there's a lot of us who've been set free by the blood of Jesus, and we still live like we're slaves to that. See, God has put us into this bigger body because he has a plan for us. He has a purpose for us. And this is why he has set us free. He didn't set us free so that we could play for the name on the back of the jersey. He set us free so we could play for the name on the heart, on the front of the jersey, which is him. Galatians 5, verse 13 says this. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Do you know how refreshing that would be to the ears of a slave? Think about that for a minute. You live your entire life in chains. And someone says, you're free. Do you realize the knowledge of Christ that you have? You're the person that can walk up to somebody who is a slave to sin and say, by the power of Christ, you're free? That there's people living in bondage to sin who don't know that there's hope in this world and they're just waiting for someone to say you're free and God has chosen you to be the message bearers of this. You're an emancipator for the sake of the kingdom. Do you see how beautiful your role is for the kingdom of God? For some of you, you may lead 40 bajillion people to the Lord. You may re reveal Christ to three people or one person. God has created you for a purpose and a reason. He says this, You, my brothers, were called to be free. So do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another 
and love. Do you think that Christ died on the cross so that you could comfortably live for a few years and then make it to heaven? Comfortably suffer for a few years and make it to heaven? No. Christ died so that you could live for him. It goes on to say this, that the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Church, let me ask you a question. Do you love your neighbor as much as you love you? Do you love your family members as much as you love the name on the back? This closing piece of scripture is really kind of hurtful because it really calls us into attention because it closes with this. If you keep on biting and devouring one another, you will be destroyed by each other. Team USA was experiencing that firsthand as they bit and devoured one another. They were failing. They were the laughing stock. And just as when the church bites and devours itself, we become an embarrassment for the kingdom. When we as the church allow people to badmouth what God's doing or to say that the church isn't necessary anymore, we're really failing what God has called us to. To demonstrate the church is the beautiful bride of Christ. Listen to me. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to be a part of the bigger body. And we are that church. So when you guys post things on Facebook about, I love Jesus, but I hate the church, what are you saying? It just tells us we're to love one another as Christ loves us, not to hate one another and to bite one another. Because if we keep doing that, church, we will be destroyed. But God didn't set us free for that. You see, because God set us free to live for him, to love our neighbors. And I'm pleased to say that I I believe we as a church do that. We love one another, but it's never going to be good enough. And we always have to continue to pour out love on one another and to not stop within the walls of our church, but to pour out love on the outside walls of the church. I would love if people called us those weirdos up on the hill. They're so in love with everybody. They do everything. They're just the nicest people. We don't understand it. Well, come on in, we'll tell you about it. Wouldn't that be a great reputation to have? What are we afraid of, folks? Who are you living for, yourself? Or are you living for God? You see, we're set free not to devour, devour one another, not to bite each other, but we're set free to live free from sin. We're set free for a reason. We're set free because God has designed you to be a player on the team, and you have a specific function to, to fulfill. In our church classes, we teach this as your shape. You are shaped for ministry. In Job 10.8, it says, Your hands have formed me and shaped me. God made you on purpose. You hear me say this all the time. With every little nook and cranny about you, with every little life experience, God did it on purpose. And he picked you for the team. Remember, God picked you for the team. This isn't Herb Brooks. This isn't the president. This isn't getting drafted. This is the creator of everything has picked you. 
that should move you to dance around on the stage. Amen? Your shape looks like this. Galatians 5, 25 says this. That since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Each one of us has been given fruit of the Spirit. Excuse me, it starts in 22. God has equipped you with a spiritual gift. Did you know that? He's given it to you. It's, it's, it's not something you can work at. It's not something that you can say, okay, God, I tried that one out for a while, but I don't want it anymore. I, I'd rather try something else. God has given you a spiritual gift. Goodness, faithfulness, kindness, patience, joy, peace, a spirit of love. God has given each and every one of you a spiritual gift. The question I have is, are you using it? Or are you too busy looking at the goaltender saying, I really wish I could be the goalie? Second part of shape is this. You've been given a heart. He's changed your heart. He's made your hearts care about the things that he cares about. And if, and if that's so, God has wired you a certain way and he has made you have certain, I don't know, just uniquenesses. What are the things that you love? What are the things that you love to do? Because God wants you to use those things for his service. Maybe you really love to paint houses. Let me tell you, God can use that. Maybe you really love to do taxes for people. God can use that. Maybe you really love to play with children. God can use that. God gives you a heart for something because he wants to use it. God gives you natural abilities. We, we all have them in some way or another. Some of us really like our natural abilities. Some of us detest our natural abilities. But I want to say this to you. God gave you those abilities for a reason. Use them. Use your natural abilities because God desires for you to use your abilities for the sake of the kingdom. That's part of your ministry. He's given you a personality. My wife knows this one. I am not normal. And you know what? It's good because God made me this way. And if I were to pretend to be something other than who I am, I'm sitting against God because I'm telling him he's making mistakes. God's given you a personality. Be who God made you to be for his glory. Because I promise you this, there are going to be people who are going to communicate in your personality style. And it's not going to be everybody, but it's going to be at least one. And when one person's life is changed, God is glorified. Use your personality, all of its uniquenesses, its seriousness, its goofiness, its childlikeness. Use it for him. God's brought you through life experiences for a reason. There's, oh my gosh, there's so much pain in the faces out here. There's so much joy. There's so many sicknesses and moments. God has given you experiences in your life. Not because he enjoys seeing you in pain or even caused those things, but in those painful moments in your life, God wants to use those for the furthering of your kingdom. It says in his word that he will take the things that, that hurt us and he will use them for his glory. He will work to the good of those who love him. And sometimes when we go through painful or embarrassing moments, they may hurt like crazy in that moment. But I promise you this. God will use that, even if it means your death. Because sometimes in our death, God can use us more than he can use us in our life. It's wild to think about, isn't it? But we should be able to trust him. Know that the experiences that we are going through, 
he will use for his glory. And for some of us, that's a lot lighter statement than for others. Amen? Success is not winning a gold medal. Success is not having the most money. But success is doing what God made you to do. And he shaped you for ministry. He shaped you to be an emancipator. And to do so and to serve one another in love. 1 Corinthians 13 tells this beautiful story about all of these different things that we can do. And it closes with this statement. It says, if you do this and you don't have love, you're just a resounding gong. If I don't do this in love, it's useless. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to be a family and we are called to love one another. Do you love one another? I hope so. Because I need people to love me and I want to love you. It's not always easy for us to love one another. We have to ask God to help us to do it. The way we do that is by imitating Christ. I love the way Herb Brooks gave a pep talk to his men because he said this to him, just as I think we as a church should listen to what he's saying and thinking of these passages. He said, you were born for this. Works, doesn't it? You're supposed to be here. God picked you for this team. You're intentionally made Be what God made you to be. Remember, you're not an individual. You're part of something miraculous. You're part of something bigger than you. So go out there, church. Love one another. Serve one another. Because it's for this that God set us free. Not to be individuals and to play for ourselves. Don't you want to be part of something miraculous? I know that I do. Let's pray. It's not accidental that there's that anybody's in this room, God. You've brought everybody here on purpose to hear what it is that you want them to hear. And for some of us, that's simply to hear the message that we're loved. You were willing to forgive us of our sins, God, that you're willing to cleanse us of our sins. It might be that we needed to hear that there's no righteousness that we can provide that can defend us, that it's only through your goodness and your mercy that any of us are saved, God. Maybe we needed to hear that as painful as life is for us right now, God does have a purpose for it. And that's to be a part of a team doing ministry, doing something miraculous, not for ourselves, but for you, God. Send us, Lord Jesus, not to bite and to devour, but to love. Thank you, God, so much for allowing us to be a part of this team and for being a part of something so miraculous. As the Bible tells us, we know we win. May we have that assurance this morning as we look to see what ministry you have shaped us for, God. Convict our hearts of what it is that we're supposed to do for you. In your name we pray. Thank you.